Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's the big $10 sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And good evening, one and all. This is the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, X-Zone at X-ZoneRadioTV.com on all social media sites, TV. And if you'd like to find out about the broadcast schedule for the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. And for the X-Zone TV show on TV www.simultv.com and in the search engine just type in xzone. Exonation my guest this hour is uh, Jim Elvidge. He holds a master's degree in electrical engineering from Cornell University. He has applied his training in the high-tech world as a leader in technology and enterprise management, including many years in executive roles for various companies, entrepreneurial ventures, and leadership consulting. Beyond the high-tech realm, however, um, Jim has years of experience as a science researcher, 
keeping pace with the latest in the various field of quantum physics, cosmology, artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, and metaphysical anomalies. Now, this unique knowledge uh, base provided the foundation for his critically acclaimed 2008 book, The Universe Solved, which for the first time presented the astounding evidence that our reality may be under programmed control. Now, here we are years later. Scientists, technologists, and futurists all over the world are jumping on the simulation bandwagon speculating, ExoNation, that our reality is a digital simulation. Jim's research and theory, however, has continued well beyond the simulation hypothesis and incorporated powerful ideas around consciousness, cultural synchronicities, quantum anomalies, and a true scientific foundation for digital conscious theory. Joining me now is Jim Elbidge. And Jim, welcome back to the Exxon. Great having you with us. Yeah, thanks very much, Rob. Uh, great to be back. I uh, really like doing your show. It's been a few years and uh, really good to be back on with you. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. But, you know, over the years, I've heard more and more people talking about what you and I discussed three years ago. Like, man, you're way ahead of your time. I think we should call you Panasonic. <laughs> Great. Yeah, no, it's it's something that's definitely gathering mm -hmm. steam. Uh, even in universities, they have, you know, information theory based, you know, se sections in the physics departments now. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the, the things that I was talking about when I first wrote my first book back in uh, 2007, 2008, uh, there were very few of us then talking about these kinds of things. And now everybody's jumping on the bandwagon, especially since uh, Elon Musk, you know, threw in the hat and, you know, he he believes in a lot of this stuff, too. And now all of a sudden the. Uh, mainstream media has picked it up, and yeah. Yeah, there was an article in Wall Street Journal about it a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's definitely gathered a lot of steam. Now, as as you and I know, your your theory deals with uh, the idea of reality. Now, in your opinion, what does it mean to be real? Um, that's kind of the classic question, isn't it? Uh, yeah. You know, in, in my opinion, real is what's happening right now. And that's pretty much it. It's what what's happening in your subjective experience, in mm -hmm. my subjective experience. Um, as it turns out, what's real to you and what's real to me can sometimes be different. And not, I don't mean different in the sense of, you know, you hear differently than I do or right. your, uh, your eyesight is different than me or even that your brain processes things differently than mine fundamentally, you can actually experiencing, experience something different than what I experienced. And this has been proven in some quantum physics experiments called uh, Wigner's friend experiments, where they show that two, uh, two realities can coexist at the same time, which is a mind-blowing thing, because we think of the reality that we're in as being the same one that everybody experiences. Right. But now physicists are, are saying that's not really true. Jim, would that explain why some people see ghosts and other people don't even though they're standing in the same place at the same time looking in the same direction yeah i, I could think of uh, a couple reasons for that Please. one could be um you know if you use as an analogy uh, you know and part of my my theory involves the idea that our reality is virtual and mm -hmm. if you um you know follow the logic to its conclusion uh, and if there is no objective reality, then it has to be virtual. Um, so being virtual means that, um, you know, that we are experienced just, in, just experiencing a subjective thing. So let's take an example in a virtual reality that we're more familiar with, like a, a video game. We could have 
say, your avatar in a video game and my avatar mm-hmm. in a video game, and you could have sort of, you know, 56 spiritual points, and I have 40, and anybody over 50 sees the ghost, and anybody under 50 doesn't. You see what I mean? So, yeah. so there's, there's that possibility, and, and that is a sort of a programmatic way for people to experience things slightly different. Um, the, you know, uh, quantum physics way uh, might be that your observer effect, uh, you know, your um, ability to observe things and, quote, collapse the wave function and, and bring things into reality could be different from mine, too. So it's a, you know, a different way to look at it. But um, this model definitely allows for those kinds of things, for sure. So is reality real or are we in a digitally um, controlled holographic existence? So I think the latter, okay. um, and and that is what's real. So again, you know, if we talk about, you know, what what is real, mm-hmm. um, we have the past, the present, and the future, right? Yeah. The past, we don't really know for sure. Uh, it's it's very possible that this whole reality could have been booted up a week ago. I mean, that's you know probably not accurate, but. There's no way to really tell for sure. So you can't say with 100% certainty that something happened a while ago, other than, you know, aside from the fact that um, history is written by the victors and, you know, you can't believe everything you read and those kinds of things. Even aside from that, there's just no way to 100% be sure of something that happened in the past. And we certainly know we can't predict the future. So, um, and we can predict it a little bit, but we can never be 100% sure of that either. So the only thing we can know for certain is what we're experiencing at this moment. And that's what I would call, you know, the, the thing that's real. Um, but if you, and this is, this is where my book, I think, differs from a lot of the other theories out there. I've taken a very, what I feel is a scientific approach to it um, and using some uh, some logic to say, you know, we have a bunch of anomalies out there, you know, mm-hmm. strange things, uh, nature versus nurture, uh, the finely tuned universe, uh, y- you know, the, the effects that people have when they meditate. I'm just throwing a couple things out there, UFO experiences, whatever. Um, these things don't have conventional explanations, but the only thing that it has a conventional explanation for all of them is exactly what you described, a you know digital holographic virtual reality-based experience. And it's not that it's necessarily weird or scary or pristine or anything like that. It's just that's the nature of reality and we're, you know, we're rolling along with it. So if that's the nature of reality and reality isn't real, why do we exist? Well, we do exist. Um, and, you know, think, again, we think about things like um, how you perceive things. Mm-hmm. When you look at something, you don't really know it's there because all that you're doing, even in the material world, in, in the material paradigm of science, the materialistic paradigm, you're um, interpreting waveforms of light that are going through your visual cortex in your brain and your brain is processing and it's creating a model that says, oh, there's a car or there's a blue car or whatever. And that's, you know, that's definitely um, separate from what could actually be there. So even in the material world, you know, we're, we're not, you know, really connected to, to what there is. So, so this idea isn't, you know, outlandish in, in any way. 
Um, so to think that we are uh, somehow separated from that is, is uh, you know, not that hard of a stretch. So I do think we exist. I think that what we are is um, a subset of a kind of a big sea of consciousness. Um, you are an individuated subset of that sea of consciousness, thinking of it as like a, a mini cloud inside of a bigger cloud of consciousness. And I'm another one. And we are interacting with each other through a medium that we call life, we call physical reality, um, and and that's uh, that's the construct that we're talking about here that that seems to be virtual. All right, Jim, stand by. You and I have to take our first break for this hour. Exonation. Our guest this hour is Jim Elvidge. His website is theuniversesolved.com. That's theuniversesolved.com. And Jim and I will be back in this holographic world. On the other side of this commercial break, as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. know you can't get enough of your favorite flavors. Luckily, Kroger Free Pickup makes it easy to grab what you need without any surprise fees. Whether it's extra buns for the barbecue or those chips you just can't quit, start your cart with the Kroger app. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply, subject to availability. It's the big $10 sale, so mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Jim Elvidge is our special guest this hour, Exxon Nation. TheUniverseSolved.com is the website. So, Jim, am I correct in, in saying that what we are in this existence is nothing more than a multi-level video game, our, our, our brain being the CPU, our eyes uh, accepting the data? Yeah, a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I'd say that the... Uh, you know, what we're experiencing is very similar to a, you know, a, a virtual simulation that you might experience, um, you know, run by some other CPU. What the CPU is, is a, is a big question. It mm -hmm. feels to me, and based on the evidence, it seems like it's a, basically it's a construct of the reality itself. So um, I don't delve too deeply into how this came about, although you can kind of infer some things, you know, logically based on some of the experiences that we have. Um, however, uh, some others, Tom Campbell, Stephen Kaufman have, and, you know, they've uh, identified the idea of a reality cell. So if you think right. of something in sort of some fundamental level of reality, that there's zillions of these things. Mm -hmm. And when you get lots of things together, just like you have lots of nodes on the internet, um, you can create some pretty, uh, you know, out of complexity, you can create some interesting things. So 
um, ultimately our reality has evolved to um, be complex, to support a virtual reality existence, and think of that maybe as sort of a, a different program that's running. Um, I, I hate using words like program because it makes people feel like it's something in a computer. You know, when wow. we don't really know what the construct of, of this uh, system is, we're just inferring it from the evidence. So we don't have a better vocabulary. I'll use the word program. Okay. So our virtual reality is just this program that we're running. And you are this consciousness out there. I'm this consciousness out there where we have these avatars in the program. The avatars are our bodies. Mm -hmm. And uh, we interact with each other and with the world uh, in that way. And so, interestingly, enough, interestingly enough, this isn't that different from uh, the way the ancient Greeks viewed the world, the Hindus, uh, you know, shamanistic cultures going mm -hmm. way back, you know, often talked about Maya, the concept of Maya or uh, Plato's cave, you know, the, the idea of living in illusory reality. And idealism is a philosophy. There's a lot of philosophers out there who believe in idealism, you know, going back to, uh, you know, Descartes and others. Um, and that's just basically saying that consciousness is separate from uh, from the body. And this is really no different than, than what I'm talking about here. So, Jim, do you think we're living in the Matrix? It's kind of like that. Now, the, you know, the matrix is often invoked and, you know, I, I, I hesitate to use that too much because mm -hmm. then a lot of people will think, oh, well, this guy's been watching too many matrix movies, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, the thing about the matrix was there was a uh, malevolent intent behind it. You know, there was a creator, it was the AI that created this thing for humans to be, you know, just sort of uh, you know, dumb sitting in pods experiencing right. this thing to keep them busy. I think it's, you know, that's a very simplistic uh, way to, to look at it. Um, another way is uh, Nick Bostrom's view when he wrote his paper called The Simulation Argument, which kind of kicked a lot of this stuff off back in the early 2000s. Um, you know, his view is that we get to this point somewhere in the future because we create virtual realities and then, you know, we... Uh, develop our technology so much that we can create ones that we can't tell are different from a real reality and we have we're probably living in one of those so in that case the creator of our reality is us in the future and that's the one that's the idea that elon musk tends to believe in but i think that both of those models the matrix model and the nick bostrom um, post-humanism models what he calls it they don't explain certain things they don't explain near-death experiences where there's a lot of commonality between mm -hmm. how people have near-death experiences they don't explain precognition they don't explain spiritual experiences and they don't explain a very interesting uh, quantum physics experiment called the delayed choice quantum eraser experiment um, those theories you know don't have any kind of grounds for these these anomalies but my theory does because it's um, it's a more encompassing theory. Your new book, Digital Consciousness, is different from your first book, The Universe Solved. How does it differ? Um, in quite a few ways. Um, simplistically, The Universe Solved kind of looked at four distinct categories of evidence that the reality is virtual and programmatic. Mm -hmm. And the new book talks about dozens of categories. So over the, the last decade, I've just seen, you know, through scientific experiments, through things like the Mandela effect and others, um, 
many categories of evidence that, that really imply that our reality is digital deep down, information-based, and that it's virtual, and that con consciousness is fundamental. So that's one thing. There's just a lot more evidence in the book. Well, let's uh, uh, just a second. just like to touch on the Mandela effect. Um, you know, I've seen some of the examples that people use in the Mandela effect to prove it to be real. For example, the Bernstein instead of Bernstein. Uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, the, you know, the, the Mandela himself being dead when he was alive. Could this just not be people not fully remembering the events? For example, we did a complete search on the Bernstein bears instead of Bernstein bears. And there's plenty of evidence that it really was Bernstein and not Bernstein. And yet people who believe in the, in the Mandela effect will say, oh, no, no, it's all been altered. How do we explain that? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really great point because I think it's it's definitely not a black and white thing. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of things like uh, probably the Mandela um, uh, story itself as one where people have false memories. Why might they have false memories? It could be because there was a news report mm -hmm. or there was a rumor that went around. Right. Um, and then everybody remembers that. They remember the wrong thing. And when you remember something... Um, They've they've shown that what you're not you're not remembering what originally happened. What you're remembering is the last time you remembered it. So our memories are very faulty. So it's a very good point that some of these Mandela effect uh, examples that people give could just be false memories. However, yeah, there are some that seem like everybody remembers it differently, or almost everybody. And I'll give you one example. My favorite one is the uh, James Bond movie, Moonraker. Uh, if you remember, there was a, a henchman, big guy named Jaws yep. in that movie. And he had a mouthful of metal, and he would kill his his uh, victims by biting them. Right. And in the, in the movie, he runs into this uh, short, blonde, ponytailed woman mm -hmm. um, with glasses on. And she looks up at him, and he looks at her, and he opens his mouth and she sees the big mouth of metal and she opens her mouth and she has braces and the two of them smile and then they fall in love instantly. Right. Well, now Dolly doesn't have braces and all the artifacts mm -hmm. of that have been, you know, if you believe in the Mandela effect, all those artifacts have been replaced. Old VHS tapes, DVDs, information, pictures on the internet, all that kind of stuff is, has been replaced. Now in a digital world, it's not hard to do that. No, if it's I not. have a, a, a program that, uh, you know, a, a fantasy program that mm -hmm. has a lot of pine trees in it, I could make a, an update to that program, replace every pine tree with a palm tree, and all the people who are playing the program would say, boy, that's strange. Don't you remember yesterday it was pine trees? But they wouldn't be baffled by that because they would just assume that somebody made an update or patch to the program. But patching our reality is something that's pretty mind-blowing, so we tend to not think that that's even possible. However, in this model, it is very possible. So yeah, that that yeah. one about uh, about Jaws really kind of stands out for me. And in fact, there are there's a kind of a a piece of evidence there that that does you know lend support to the idea that the artifacts were changed. And that's the whole nature of the scene itself. The scene doesn't make sense in the movie anymore. It's it's not funny. It's not. But but uh, Jim, a, a, as I know being in the broadcast industry, that there are several takes that are of, of one scene. So, for example, the latest one that I heard about that had me laughing was uh, Home Alone, where 
uh, where the little guy is going through the um, a hotel in New York City, and he asks Donald Trump for something. Now, a lot of people who watched the movie this year said, well, no, it's been changed. That's a perfect example of the Mandela effect. Donald Trump is no longer in that movie. Mm-hmm. It was simply a netted because of timing right. for the new commercial sequences. Right. So how much credit do we give to the Mandela effect? Well, let's take the uh, Jaws example, mm-hmm. um, or, or in the Home Alone example, we can go to the producer or the director and say, hey, was there a scene with Donald Trump in the movie? And he'll say, yes, there was. Right. And so that proves that it wasn't the Mandela effect. But you can't find that in the, uh, in, the, in the James Bond movie. You can't find anybody who will say, oh, yeah, we filmed that with... Um, you know, with Dolly, right. with braces, and then we edit it later on. But could this it, not be another example like the um, Bernstein, Bernstein? Like, mm-hmm. the, it wasn't Bernstein Bears. We know for a fact, going back in time, that it was Bernstein or Stein. And, and psychologists have said that what happens here is people, Stein, Stein, it's a common error. Could this be part of the Mandela effect, a memory lapse? Yeah, I think I think for some cases it could be. And mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm 100 percent convinced that sure. even the James Bond movie was uh, an example of the Mandela effect. It's the most glaring example that I can think of. Um, Berenstein, Berenstein is another one. Right. You know, so to say that we can go back and look and find evidence, you know, the the, the original writers of that and their family tree. Yeah. Um, that doesn't really constitute evidence that that was the case in the past because that could all be artifacts that were replaced, just like we talked about replacing trees in a virtual reality. All right, stand by, Jim. I've got to take my news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation, Jim Elvidge is our special guest. And the website is www.theuniversesolved.com. And we'll both be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Jim Melvidge is our special guest. TheUniverseSolved.com is his website. Jim, when it comes to the digital aspect of this reality or the matrix, however we want to describe it, or as you describe it in your in your new book entitled Digital Consciousness, where does God fit into this picture? Uh, yeah, God, um, again, it's one of those words that conjures up images. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you have a Christian background, you tend to think of a guy with a you know, white beard up in the clouds. Um, but, you know, God here in, in, in the sense that uh, actually kind of matches a lot of uh, spiritual uh, history and spiritual experiences is more like all that there is. It's more like we are all part of it, part of, um, you know, the, the, the universal the, the consciousness. reality. Uh, universal consciousness. Yeah, exactly. And it's, a, it's another word that's mm-hmm. used often. I think it's a really good word because um, if, and what my proposition is, is that 
reality is based on consciousness. Consciousness comes out of the complexity of information deep down. And if we look at what matter is, you know, as you drill down into what matter is, you end up with information. Uh, so there doesn't seem to be anything in in our reality other than information. And so complexity of information generates consciousness. If all that there is is nothing but information in a very complex way, consciousness is a natural part of that. And I think what you know a, a good hypothesis is that this greater consciousness, which is God, mm-hmm. said, "Hey, you know what? Um, I would like to evolve you know the complexity of myself." Um, you know, again, he's not speaking English, of course, but, you know, that's the that's the fundamental uh, rule that he's he, he's following or it is following is uh, increasing complexity, um, increasing level of consciousness. So how how's the best way to do that? The best way to do that is to divide yourself up or to divide itself up into small pieces and have each one of those evolve their consciousness. What's a good way for them to evolve their consciousness? Play in some sort of. Um, life game like this where we learn lessons by interacting with people and interacting with things and um, you know we certainly get wiser as we get older and I think that what we do is we carry on that that wiseness that um, in- increase in our level of uh, consciousness from one life to another uh, yes I, I do tend to believe in reincarnation There's a lot of evidence for that too and I think that's part mm-hmm. of the whole process here is that we live out our life we learn a bunch of things um, we detach from this learning lab, this virtual reality learning lab. We design a new life. We reattach. We follow that life. We learn some more things, and we constantly evolve ourselves. Um, as we do that, God constantly evolves itself as well. You know, it seems, uh, you know, I, I'm listening to you explain this, and it, it's very cold, very analytical. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it, it is, and, and part of it, could come from the fact that I have an engineering background mm-hmm. and I talk about things that way. But, you know, everything that we experience, uh, so a flower, the smell of a flower, mm-hmm. you know, what is that? You know, when you get right down to it, it signals, you know, entering your consciousness and being interpreted by your consciousness. And, you know, you may associate that with something and that's beautiful. And, and so that, you know, that emotion is, you know, part of, part of your consciousness. Yeah, but, Same, you know, t- yeah. But, but taking a flower and using that example, you know, that's rather, rather cold. Like, you know, I'm saying here, well, what's the sense of going day to day if we're nothing but a, a digital game for somebody who's got nothing better to do with their time than to use us as their pawns? Because we are behind that. You know, we still have free will. We still have, um, you know, the desire to evolve ourselves and to learn to love and to learn uh, you know, whatever lessons it is that we were trying to learn in this life. It's not that different from what people think mm-hmm. of in, as a material world, except that it's not light, lights out when you die. And that deep down, the fact that it's based on information, or I shouldn't say the fact, but, you know, as mm-hmm. evidence points to, based on information, as opposed to what? As opposed to, you know, fields and atoms and things like that that are continuous. How is that any less cold, you know, when you get right down to it? But at the end of the day... You know, uh, the example you gave of the flowers and, and, you know, we're here to learn this, that, or the other thing. Does it make a difference to the John Q. public if they if they see it that way or if they want to continue seeing it the way that they've seen life for years? 
Like I, what? I, like, yeah. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm trying to figure out what the importance of changing everything is at this point in our society's um, evolution. You know. Well, I think uh, there are a couple things here. One, you know, searching for truth mm -hmm. is, you know, ultimately uh, something that humanity always wants to do. You know, intelligence wants to find the truth. They want to find out what's the nature of things. That's why we have science. That's why we do experiments. So there's there's a purpose to digging uh -huh. deeper. Um, but what's the implication of this is actually pretty powerful because if you believe in the, you know, materialism type of view of the earth mm -hmm. than of, of reality, then what you're doing is saying, I live in this environment, I have one life to live, and my job is to grab as much as I can and compete as much as I can and, and make the most out of it because that's it, it's lights out when I die. But if you realize that you reincarnate and that your role is to learn, then you're going to be less materialistic, less competitive, more compassionate, more empathetic to other humans, and you're going to live your life differently. So, so I actually see, um, you know, the, the implications of this theory are pretty significant. I don't know. I, I, I can see your point, but how are we going to get the members of society to understand this and, and rock their world? <laughs> Good question. Well, what do they respect? They respect scientists. They mm, respect... Uh, I don't know about that. Sometimes some some segment of the population probably, some segment respects uh, I don't know celebrity right or uh, politicians. So you know we're we're starting to see a little bit of that. So there are a lot of scientists that that believe this now, and they are um, conducting experiments that are you know blowing the minds of the scientists and blowing the minds of the people who you know respect their opinion. But they are not blowing the minds of the majority of the people. It's this very select few that that are actually getting their minds blown by all these different experiments. And instead of spending money on all these experiments, uh, why not take care of those who can actually use the help of the scientific community, the people who are hungry, the people who you know, need medical help? The needy people of the world seem to be neglected by science. Oh, I hear you. And, and I, I think there is kind of two sides to it. You, mm -hmm. you you probably can't say that we would have a balanced society if all we do is focus on one thing, um, you I'm, know, and, and say there's no point to science at all. You know, we wouldn't be living the way we live. We wouldn't be able to, you know, develop food at the level that we do or whatever. And those things can benefit the needy. I think that uh, it's policies of governments that, that tend to... Um, emphasize things like wars and uh, okay. very expensive uh, campaigns mm -hmm. that, you know, get a lot more money than even science does. So I'd, I'd look at, you know, the, the idea that if we're not in competition for resources, wars don't even make sense anymore. And that would free up an awful lot of money that we can use to help a lot of people. Wars have never made sense. Never. Right. But we keep doing it, don't we? <laughs> well, of course, so, to, to feed the industrial complex. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, this is this idea, this theory is all of a sudden going to change the world. Nothing ever works that way. You know, we mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever there was a book, um, I forget the name of it, but it, it talked about, um, you know, using statistics to, to learn about how 
uh, we've evolved over time. And if you look at like the murder rate in Europe back in the 1500s, it was hundreds of times what it is today. Mm-hmm. So we feel like, yeah, we don't evolve very fast. You know, we're, uh, you know, no different than we were 30 years ago, but we actually are. We're, we're more compassionate. We treat animals better. Um, you know, how many, how many countries now uh, uh, have, have created laws that um, prevent zoos from existing or well, uh, I, having I, I hear you on this I, I hear you on this and I, and I agree except you know it seems that animals are getting better respect than humans are and when you look at uh, the statistics there's more homeless now than there was 30 years ago there's more terminal diseases than there were 30 years ago there are more hungry people 30 years ago there are more uneducated people than there were 30 years ago so statistics can actually prove that we're not going forward, that we're kind of in a rut. Yeah, it depends. I, I think it depends on the, the country. I think it depends mm-hmm. on your time frame that you're looking at. So like anything, if you ever look at a, a, you know, a growing stock, it, it goes up and then it goes down yep. a little bit, then it goes up some more. But the overall trend may be continuously up. So I think the overall trend of humanity is in a positive direction. But we may have had, uh, you know, a dip for a certain number of years in some senses. There's nothing wrong with that idea. I, but I think that that fits. All right. Stand and, by. And, We've got to take our final break. And Dexone Nation, our guest this hour is Jim Elvidge. And his website is www theuniversesolved.com and uh, Jim and I will be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone with yours truly Rob McConnell from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget the X-Chronicles newspaper comes out Friday www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com and for all the show listings and where and when you can listen to your favorite XZBN show visit our website www.xzbn.net We'll be back after this break. Don't go away. Jim Elvidge is our special guest this hour, Exonation, www.theuniversesolved.com. Jim, a lot of people in the New Age community are, are tossing around quantum, quantum physics, quantum mechanics, like it's the next best thing to slice bread. But I've got a feeling they really don't know what the hell they're talking about half the time. So why don't you explain to us what quantum physics, quantum mechanics are? Yeah, um, that's a, that's a tall order, Rob. Um, oh, come on! Was, I've got faith in you. Yeah, I think it was was it Feynman or there was some famous scientist that that basically said mm-hmm. if you think you understand quantum mechanics, you don't really understand at all. You know, if you're not baffled by it, you know. So everybody's baffled by it, even even the most uh, you know educated of scientists. But basically, the idea is that at the very small levels of reality. Uh, things work a little bit differently or a lot differently than they would appear to work in our, 
you know, sort of macroscopic view as we look at things. So, for example, um, you know, the word quantum comes from the idea of quanta or specific discrete levels of energy. You know, they found, you know, long ago that um, when atoms undergo a, a change, they emit light uh, in, in various quanta. Never a continuous uh, spectrum of light, always in, you know, chunks of, of quanta. So it kind of implied that things are more discrete than, than we normally would think of um, at that lower level. The interesting thing is as they've done experiments, they've found that there are some strange, strange mm -hmm. anomalies in quantum mechanics um, that seem to defy an explanation, at least when, if you're thinking about things in a macroscopic view. For example, uh, two particles that interact at, uh, at the quantum level are forever what's called entangled. What that means is that um, neither particle, until they're actually measured in terms of their position or their spin or some mm -hmm. property of it, neither particle really exists per se. They exist in sort of this probability space. But the minute you measure one, the properties of the other one snap into existence. So Einstein had some fun with that, and he said, okay, well, what if you take one of them, you know, and put it a light year away, how could it snap into existence without violating, you know, the speed of light? But the fact is they've done studies now that show that this actually happens. What makes um, something snap into existence is the conscious observation of that thing. So, you know, in, a, in an experiment, mm -hmm. when a detector detects which direction a particle goes, for example, that's the time when it actually, uh, you know, locks into a, a real position. And so would its entangled particle that could be on a spacecraft or, you know, under the ocean somewhere. And they've done these experiments that show that that's really the case. Now, this, there's no macroscopic explanation for this. You know, could these particles be communicating with each other? How would they know? But the digital consciousness theory explains it really well. And, it, and it's a, a deeper level than the holographic theory. The holographic idea is basically just saying there's something underneath here that's connecting things um, that are far apart. And the digital consciousness theory is really what that theory is. So what's connecting them is the fact that they're they're just information, and they're information that's being used in some programmatic way. So I, I could, for example, uh, write a program that defines the properties of a particle. That particle is nothing but information. And when that particle comes in contact with another particle, it spins up another program, you know, called, called you know, forking or whatever mm -hmm. uh, computer science terminology you want to use. And now, if that particle is positioned somewhere else on the screen, you know, which is equivalent to space in our reality, it's always going to follow what the other one does. And it's just because the underlying construct is computational and it updates that state the same time it updates the other state. We don't see that in our normal macroscopic reality because there are, you know, limitations to how fast things move and, you know, relativity prevents macroscopic things from exceeding the speed of light and so forth. But, you know, at the quantum level, um, you know, that, that could be very different. In fact, it was a John Wheeler who said, uh, you know, I, I understand why all electrons are exactly the same because they're all the same electron. Well, th that 
that insight of his was mind blowing, but it actually makes sense if you think of an electron as nothing more than the instantiation of a little tiny program that determines how that electron behaves. That instant, that little tiny program is the same everywhere. So oh. that's why every electron behaves behaves exactly the same. All right. So how is quantum mechanics and quantum physics going to help John Q. Public? Um, it, it, I don't know that it will. I mean, you know, right now it, mm -hmm. it helps a lot because uh, you know, I have to correct my statement there. Every computer that you use, all electronics that you use, use quantum mechanics. The, the idea of tunneling is a quantum mechanic. Uh, mechanical thing so you wouldn't have cell phones without quantum mechanics or computers or or satellites or transmission equipment or anything without uh, electronics which depend on quantum mechanics so that's certainly made a big impact in people's lives uh, but what we're talking about today is more that um, these quantum mechanic anomalies have mm -hmm. an explanation and that explanation implies a information-based virtual reality which also implies uh, reincarnation, which implies an afterlife, which now is something that really does have an impact on people's, you know, worldview. Sure. Now, you keep on saying implies, implies, implies. So this has not been proven yet. Um, no. Uh, the word proof is not in the vocabulary of science, so, you know, to be honest. So. so why should we pay any attention to speculation instead of fact um, because there's a there is a, a very valid um, aspect of science called abductive logic and abductive logic is used uh, with by physicians all the time you see a bunch of symptoms that somebody has uh, mm -hmm. you even run a test perhaps and all the tests are inconclusive but it all adds up to you know believing that you know this is the source of the problem and therefore this person needs uh, a pill or exercise or surgery or whatever it is and that's that's real science and that's all I'm doing here is saying that we have a, a lot of um, unusual things going on in the world and when you try to come up with an explanation for all of them you can look at the simulation theory you can look at the many worlds theory deterministic materialism um, Abrahamic religions string theory Eastern philosophy you know all these things that are overriding theories, but all of those that I just mentioned leave out something. All of them uh, have a domain that they can explain and a domain that they can't. Uh, whereas because, what I'm talking about can really explain all of the anomalies, and therefore, as the best fit to the way the world works, it should be considered um, as, a, as a valid theory. But at the end of the day, we still have to pay our taxes, we still have to pay our mortgage, we still have to go grocery shopping, and we still need to put gas in the car, we still need to pay for our medical attention. So what is going to change? Um, your, your worldview. I mean, if, if you, you know, it's, it's up to you, I, I, I think. You know, if you understand what the implications of this are i mean let's say that you believe in reincarnation you might choose a, mm -hmm. a different career path whereas if you believe that it's lights out when you die mm -hmm. you're probably going to pick you know something that makes you the most money for example so um yeah your day-to-day -day life is i think can be very much influenced by your belief in uh or your worldview i'm sure people who believe in certain religions behave differently than people who don't believe in those religions and um yeah. So, 
Okay, I'm having a little bit of a, of a problem trying to understand the significance. Because what you're saying is that, you know, you basically have the ability to choose what is right, what is wrong, what religion that you follow. If you want to believe in reincarnation, if you want to believe in something that it'll change your life for the good or for the bad or whatever. And so that's, that's everyday life. As it is. So, once again, I don't see the significance. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I would suggest that you maybe read the book and, okay. and you know, consider uh, what what it the implications are having read it. I mean, I, I see the significance, and I've done my best to try to explain sure. it, but I certainly can't uh, convince everyone. <laughs> but, you, but you're a scientist. You're an, you're an engineer. This is how you think. This is how you were, you were taught to think, I would imagine. Sure. And um, I was actually taught a lot of things that I have now thrown away. Mm -hmm. You know, the uh, materialistic yeah. point of view, I, I fully reject and I reject it based on evidence. And so that's all I'm really trying to do is say that based on the evidence and the evidence consists of, you know, things that are unexplained in this world or results of experiments. But, but here, or, all, right, all right. But you were saying implies, 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 implies before. Now you're saying evidence. It's the same. It's the same thing. No, it's Im not. No, it's not. No, it's not. I, I beg to differ. If you have evidence that somebody has committed a crime, all right, they can be charged. But there, when it comes to the implication of proof, you can't charge a person. You can't convict. There's there's no proof in science. Proof proof's the domain of mathematics. And I'm not saying that I can prove any of this. I don't think anybody can prove any of this. Nobody can prove the Big Bang theory. They can't prove simulation mm. theory. They can't prove anything. So one way or another, you know, you, you could make the same argument about any philosophy about the world. Um, well, the one philosophy I, I, I have to make right now is that we've run out of time, my friend. <laughs> Jim, I want to okay. thank you so much for joining us. Great talking to you. And Exonation, if you'd like more information about our guest this hour, Jim Elvidge, visit his website, www.theuniversesolved.com. And I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. <laughs> 